0: Hello and welcome to my weekly show, I'm Father Roderick and it is a gorgeous day outside, the sun is shining, we have a little bit of summer left scenes, but I'm sitting here inside with the curtains closed and a microphone on because it's uh, time to record a new show, so sit back and relax and enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons. They help me with a small or not so small financial contribution every month. And that helps me to keep this show entirely free from advertisements and sponsorships and that kind of stuff. If you want to join that community of patrons, go over to patreon.com slash father Roderick. And in return as a thank you, I will give you an extra podcast every week that's exclusively available to my patrons and Coming very soon, my first Ireland documentary that I'm currently editing. And uh, it's going to be awesome. And I hope that if you are a patron, you will enjoy it. you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. Face it, Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. I am still reeling from a fight that I had yesterday evening. And uh, it was a tough fight. Uh, it hurt. My hand was bleeding. Uh, I, I still have pain, like uh, muscle ache from, from the exertion of the fight. And uh, it, uh, it could have ended ter- very, very badly. Uh, but fortunately, I got the upper hand, and I was able to uh, overcome uh, the, the problem. And no... I wasn't in a fight with another human being. I was actually fighting with the Millennium Falcon, of all things. (laughs) This ship that I've been building with Lego for the past, what is it, three, four days now? And uh, yesterday evening, uh, I'm recording this on Monday morning, so on Sunday afternoon I'd been uh, doing a little bit of building, but I... I'm not always streaming everything live, so I figured, you know, I'm just going to um, uh, build some stuff in advance. And then when I switch on the, the live stream on YouTube, I'll just put things together very calmly. We'll have plenty of time to chat because that's why I do these live streams, of course. It's, uh, it's not really about the Lego building. It's about the community. And, uh, and I will just have a very nice, relaxing end of my day. Well, little did I know, that, that piece of junk was going to cause me so many problems. What happened? So right now, I've, I've built the framework of the Falcon. And this is a huge set. It's 5,500 five pieces. It weighs a ton. It's 4 or 5 kilograms. So as you can imagine, that skeleton that, that carries all these pieces has to be super solid. So that was made with technical Lego which is um, slightly different from the Legos that you played with as a child. Um, it's, it's, it, it doesn't really have a shape. It's just these structures, very, very strong, uh, rugged constructions with pins and holes and whatnot. All that was ready. And then that entire skeleton had to rest on uh, la- landing gear. So the Falcon has five feet, I think, five, no, six, seven, I think seven feet on which it rests. And of course the Lego set also has that. So I was, I was building these, uh, these supports and then I discovered that actually I'm missing very vital pieces. This is a secondhand set and the previous owner had warned me, there may be some stuff missing. Well, that was the first problem that I had to tackle. How do I solve that? And of course, it's like ah, it's not just cosmetic stuff that is missing, but really structural things that if I if I leave them out, then the structure, the entire ship becomes unstable. Now, in a certain way, the Falcon is always a bit unstable, but uh, I really needed to make sure that these this landing gear was uh, built in the way that it was meant to be. So. My first challenge was to find pieces in my inventory, I've got some, some older Lego, and see if I can somehow fix that. And I found similar pieces, not exactly the same, some had a different, the wrong color, but I figured this is what Han would do, right? Han and Chewie, they're constantly modifying the the Falcon, if you remember what it looked like in Lando's early days when it was this shiny, beautiful white ship with blue accents, and then the inside was all shiny and new and fancy, and then you later on see the Falcon when... Uh Hans and Chewie have been flying that thing for a decade and it's all grimy and dirty and they've been making all sorts of special modifications, which are really upsetting to Lando because he's he can't believe how awful the ship looks uh from you know, since the last time he saw it. And uh I figured that kind of what I'm doing right now is 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 piecing together a Falcon with with lots of extra components, with hacks, with little solutions. And so that, that kind of made it fun to, to try to figure out how to make that work, even though pretty important stuff is missing. There's one, one element that I'll have to order online. It's a it's pretty, uh, pretty vital uh, thing that, that can't be replaced by anything else. It kind of it looks like a ladder. It's a, it's a plastic piece that goes over the uh, hyperdrive engine. So you you have the blue uh, engine on the rear of the ship and that is covered with a grill and I only have half of it. So the other one I'll have to order that. This is going to be the first time ever that I have to go to one of those specialized Lego shops, online shops, uh, that can sell you almost any Lego element that's out there. And what these these shops do is they buy buy new or secondhand sets but instead of building them they just disassemble them and they sell these individual pieces based on the rarity and so sometimes they will buy an entire set for I don't know, a hundred bucks just for that one element that they can sell for like fifty dollars per element and then they'll sell the rest for you know, two, three cents a piece but they will still make money on that even though they're not selling the original set so that will probably be be solved um and so i was glad that by the end of the evening before i started streaming i had seven uh feet for the landing gear and then i was like okay i'm just gonna stream that and it's gonna be enjoyable and nice and relaxing and so i put these I, i had to turn the ship upside down and then you had to slot in every every uh piece of the landing gear and so there were some holes in the internal technical Lego structure. So I kind of pushed it in, made sure it was re- really f- affixed in place because of that's going to carry the entire ship. So everything was in place. I turn it around. I look at the manual, and I I discovered that I had forgotten very important pieces on uh, on the landing gear. and I And so I had to take those those feet off the structure again, trying to pry them loose from the underlying technical skeleton in order to fit these pieces on there. And that turned out to be such a fight. If you go to my YouTube channel and and check for the episode of, I think it's, uh, what is it, August 18, you will see that it starts really gentle and I'm super happy that I was able to find a solution for the landing gear. And then I try to get the the, the stu- stuff deconstructed and then almost destroy the falcon. And it is a, a physical fight. And literally my thumb, it's still a bit dented, was bleeding from the... the I tried to pry loose. I wore these, these, these rods, these uh, plastic black rods. And because I had forgotten a few of those elements, I had stuck them way too deep into the structure And I couldn't pry them loose anymore. It was impossible. And then it's plastic, so you have no grip on it. So I was, and and I was using so much strength, so much energy that like half of the ship came apart. (laughs) And I was like, ah, it went from, from bad to worse. It was a really, really tough evening. And I can still feel it literally in my in my shoulders, and most of all because I was hunched over the over the thing. I was also streaming it, so I had to adjust the camera. And well, it it was it was an incredible challenge. Now, someone in the chat said to me, "That will make the final the once it's finished, the final result so much more valuable because you will have invested so much in it." No kidding. Oh my goodness, I was, uh, I, I didn't think, I was actually quite happy that the, the whole build was going much easier, It was easier to do, uh, went much better than, 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 than my first big Lego project, was, which was a Hogwarts Castle, which really caused a lot of headaches. But, uh, well, never underestimate the, uh, the problems that a simple Lego set can bring you. Anyway, if you wanna follow me, go check it out on my YouTube channel. I <laughs> do not like movies. They're predictable. Like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine, I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm gonna give it to you. Yeah. Today it is time for a retro review of a movie that I've seen I don't know how many times. Ghosts. And it's about this ghost. Hello, Ghostbusters. They're real. You do. They're mean. You have. They're here. We got one! Well, you know the drill. It is time for the Ecto One to race through the streets of New York City on its way to a hotel that is haunted. They catch the ghost that won't stay dead. They're armed. Ah! They're dangerous. Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Right, that's bad. Okay, all right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. They're professionals. Oh, I'm the chairman of the largest paranormal removal company in America. Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Harold Ramis, of course, uh, the the three Ghostbusters. Later on, joined by a fourth one, and they are ridding the city of these this threat of all these ghosts and these old testaments. menaces. your girlfriend lives in the corner penthouse of Spook Central. Do You want this body? Is this a trick question? <laughs> and especially Bill Murray is yes, this is one of his breakout roles he is so hilarious and a lot of the dialogue was uh, was just they came up with it on the spot it was improvised and it's it works so so well oh. up until the very end oh well Ghostbusters. Starry bill murray Star-Mary. And uh, the reason that, I rev- that I'm reviewing the the um, uh, the movie uh, again is that, of course, as you know, they're working on the third sequel. Of, actually, the, the yeah, the, the second sequel, because there's already been Ghostbusters 2. There's going to be a third movie based on the original story of Ghostbusters. Of course, we had the female Ghostbusters last year. Was it last year or was it the year before? And you know that I wasn't a fan of that uh, particular incarnation of the franchise, but now that, the, that the mo- a lot of the original people that were involved in, in Ghostbusters from 1984 are, are working on this, this third movie, I couldn't be happier. And I was curious, the, the, the movie uh, was on Netflix, and I don't think I'd seen it before. And it's the remastered version. So uh, the, the Ghostbusters, of course, being from 1984, was filmed on film, on cellu- celluloid. However, you to pronounce that. And so they scanned it in again. They cleaned up the print, and I was curious to see what it would look like in HD. And it actually—it's—it—it's it, it's mixed. It, it really shows its age. There's a lot of grainy uh, uh, footage. I think it's because the film was not done on like these big negatives, but they, they in order to save money, this was still a, a relatively low budget movie. It's hard to hard to believe when it, with, with the success it, it has had. And, and it's been, it's such a cult classic. Um, and so instead of, I think on 32 millimeter, did they shoot it on 16 millimeters? Anyway, they used kind of sub corp, subpar quality uh, uh, material which results in in just a very, very grainy image. Now, the thing is, with the remaster, you actually see way more grain than in previous versions on Blu-ray and on DVD because then they would uh, denoise it in software. And that was, for a while, that was uh, uh, really a, a thing that a lot of studios did they kind of felt that that you couldn't show people the grainy stuff on their uh, high-resolution TVs, so they would digitally remove the grain. The effect, of course, is everything looks kind of plasticky and fake. The grain all also kind of gives structure, gives a certain reality to the to the picture, to the image. And if you brush it away, you can still see that it's old footage, but then then the faces become almost, almost like. I don't know CGI and, and really looking very unnatural. Then it will also often color correct uh, the movie again. So color correction means you look at the footage and then you you up certain colors. You kind of balance the color, uh, uh, well, the, the grades of color in the image. I do that a lot with when I edit my own uh, television episodes, uh, especially in low light. Uh, oftentimes what happens is the colors are much more muted and they're certainly not as as vibrant as you remember it because your eye, of course, has way more ability to see in darker situations and adapts itself. So when you see the footage back, I had that recently with uh, the Ireland footage, the stuff that I filmed in the evening looks very washed out. And so in color grading, you... Up the saturation. Sometimes you also uh, up the the brightness, or you enhance the contrast. Well, what they would do with these older movies is also do that, and but then it becomes way too vibrant, and and uh, it, it, again, it just it, that in combination with the denoising, everything looks it looks extremely artificial and unnatural. So, with the the recent remaster, they tried to stay as close as possible to the original, just trying to scan it in. Uh, from a very clean negative, correcting per- in 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 uh, digitally, also the little scratches. They did that with Star Wars too, from the original Star Wars trilogy. They did very high resolution scans, and it, even if you clean and wash the entire original print of the movie, there will still be stuff left. And in some of the scenes, in especially in New Hope, you can notice that the the current Blu-ray version, so the, the the what is it, the special editions that uh, Lucas made, um, there there are really jarring changes in uh, the quality of the image. Some of the shots, like there is a star destroyer shot, I think was so bad. The original material was so bad that they that Lucas decided to film it again. And so there are some scenes in there, and especially with the special editions additions, so the CGI stuff that he put in. All that stuff looks way too clean and way too new, and it's very weird to all of a sudden go back to grainy material. With Ghostbusters, everything's grainy, so that's not a problem. Um, and you also see the, that the special effects, which as a child I remember seeing this movie, uh, being, I think, in high school, and was like, oh, this is so amazing. It, it, th- we've never seen special effects like that. But by today's standards, of course, it looks extremely fake and uh, superimposed. And you see a lot of these, um, what is it, uh, where they remove the background, the um, what's it called again? I forgot, anyway. The, you see lines around, there's this, this one point there's this hellhound that uh, breaks out or breaks loose and every t- and it's I think it's stop motion animations and it's pretty well done. I really like the design of that dog, but it is so fake. <laughs> it's really you, there's not a single moment that you think that that thing could be real, and it almost makes me long for like a, a special edition of Ghostbusters because there are ways to kind of touch up the special effects a little bit. Again, Lucas did that with, uh, for instance, the X-wing fighters uh, in the original version, the one that was shown in theaters uh, at the launch of that movie, um, everything that was filmed with blue screen, because they were not using green screen at the time, it was all blue screen, everything had huge lines where, because every shot, every uh, special effects shot was, was the background was was taken out manually, and, and you would have these lines around the spaceships, which, which makes it look pretty fake. So, what Lucas did was he went in with a, with a lot of money and a lot of people and they manually removed all those lines. So they have, of course, much more um, um, powerful software to remove those matte lines. And so that's why the, the versions that we now know of that movie actually look pretty good. You can still see that it's all uh, analog uh, special effects. Nothing digital in there except for the the additions like the the digital version of Mazzay'sley that looks horrible, by the way. Like the, the 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 Land Speeder just entering the city and the the stupid jokes with the Java's, etc. It's really really bad taste. But anyway, um, but for the rest, a lot of the special effects have been have just been kind of improved a little bit. But it's all done, I think, very well. And I think Ghostbusters would benefit from that, even even from grading the movie again a little bit because it still looks a bit washed out. But anyway, it was what, what of course makes the movie uh, so great is not the quality of the footage or the special effects. It's, it's the, the chemistry of the cast. It is a really, really uh, funny movie uh with uh, i think a a really great role for Sigourney Weaver this was in her early days i think even be, before she filmed alien and um she's she's still totally sigourney weaver if you if you watch her more recent work remember avatar even though that's not even recent anymore um she has she's instantly recognizable she's got the same face the same style um it's amazing to see how um consistent she she has been in her acting career and so I'm super excited that they're bringing her back for the third movie as well so um the the uh let me see if they actually because of course not everyone is alive anymore um what do they say on i m d b because there was this this uh teaser trailer if you remember that we saw which was just basically the back of the um uh let me see, Ghostbusters uh, 3. You see the, the back of the original Ecto-1, I think. Ghostbusters 2020. Um, the plot, of course, is undisclosed. We have a tray and I think there are some set photos as well. So confirmed right now, um, Bill Murray is, is kind of rumored to, to come back as Peter Venkman, Although he had this uh, cameo in the female Ghostbusters movie, and I thought it was one of the worst, the, one of the worst ingredients of that movie. It, was, it totally didn't work. So Gourney is going to be back as Dana Barrett. Annie Potts is Janine Melnitz. and I think she's the lady that answers the phone. Yeah, what do you want? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very much kind of a, a caricature of what people associate with the New York, you know, attitude. Dan Aykroyd is going to be back as Dr. Raymond Stans and Bokeem Woodbine's Sheriff Domingo. Hmm. So the cast is still there. There are some other names that are mentioned, but we don't know what they play. Um, And let me see if if I can find the the trailer again. It's been a while since I saw that one. So Ghostbusters um, 3... Let's see if they have something new. Sometimes I just just have to Google it. Teaser trailer. Um, Everything we know so far. Ghostbusters 3. Stay Poofed Marshmallow spotted. That is cool. So maybe that leaked out. That is awesome if they bring back. Because the marshmallow guy. That is one of the most iconic things of that movie. Um, Let's see. I think it is right here, the teaser trailer. Sony Pictures, so this is from Sony Pictures, interesting. Let's play it again, it's been a while. Uh, You see a house, very dark environment. Thunderstorm. This is like a barn. Similar music from the first movie, very cool. something there in that shed and you don't know what it is it's covered by a piece of cloth and it's the ecto <laughs> and this of course is the sound of those uh, plasma guns firing up don't cross the streams <laughs> this this is a genius trailer because it 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 what it does so well is it, it brings back kind of the slow pace of Ghostbusters. This is a movie from the 80s, and it struck me again how much more relaxed those movies are. Nowadays, everything is so so over, overproduced, and we need a, like a new shot every second, whereas this Ghostbusters movie has a lot of scenes that just go on and on. It's almost comedy improv. And, uh, and I think it, it, it gives the movie, it's imperceptible, But subconsciously, it gives the movie a different pace. There are moments that are super exciting, but they they almost like they they are more exciting to see because the rest of the movie is kind of slow. And this trailer kind of brings back that that atmosphere of the of the 80s, the style of filming, the visual style, but also the kind of the pacing. That is, I think, why the female Ghostbusters also went wrong. It's a they just totally did not capture. The vibe, the, it's, it's much more than just the script or the jokes. It's, it's the vibe, the feeling that you get, that you associate with Ghostbusters. And I think this, what they are going to do with the third movie is, is really trying to mimic that style. And uh, from the looks of it, I think they're, they're going to succeed. So that is something uh, super cool to look forward to. And then I got a tip for another movie to check out. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I didn't know that it was on on Netflix. And uh, someone said it's a very impressive movie. It's also, you know, not an easy movie to watch. And it's called Novitiate. It's from Sony Picture Classics. And uh, here's a little bit of the trailer. It's about nuns. A nun? Oh, Kathleen. You're a 17-year-old girl. I was called... And I'm going to become a nun, and there's really nothing that you can say that's going to make me change my mind. Good afternoon, all of you. Since, unfortunately, God can't be here to run this convent himself, my voice will serve as a stand-in for his. You'll be spending the next six months as postulants. After that, you'll enter the novitiate. Any questions? Put your hand down, sister. Postulants don't have questions. And you are free to go home. So that is uh, the first part of the, of the trailer. I'll play more of it uh, next week when I'm reviewing the movie. Uh, according to the description, this uh, movie spanning over a decade from, decade from the early 1950s through the mid-60s, Novitiate, is about a young girl's first initia- initiation with love, in this case with God. Raised by a non-religious single mother in a rural Tennessee, a scholarship to Catholic school soon finds Kathleen drawn into the mystery and romanticism of a life devoted to the worship and servitude of God. Now, this all takes place kind of in the in the prelude to the second vatican council major change in the catholic church and apparently uh especially the older nuns have big trouble adjusting to these changes of view, very menaced whereas the younger generation of nuns kind of embraces this 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 opening up and then of course drama ensues i will let you know what i thought of the movie in next week's episode since we're already talking about Catholics, let's visit the Peculiar Bunch. huh Catholics rock! Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Today I have a number of questions. That were asked by the people in the chat room while I'm building Legos. There's always interesting discussion going on. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. I sometimes forget to stress the kind of the, the 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 conversations that we have during those Lego sessions. It may seem. If you're, if you're watching that on YouTube, that is it's super boring. It's just a guy in a not-so-well-lit studio or on a table putting Lego stuff together. I don't really have better lighting. I don't have a very good camera. I'm just filming that with a webcam. So all of that, not much uh, for the average viewer, especially if you're not into Legos. But... What I think is the, is the real value of those sessions are the questions that, that, that my viewers ask. And, um, and, and we have just great conversations about faith, about life, about science fiction, about books, about almost anything that you can imagine. And I guess if I would, uh, if, if I would cut out all the Lego conversation, then that in itself, I think, could be the content for, uh, for a weekly show. But, of course, that is way too much work. And uh, I just don't have the time to kind of prepare these sessions. And, but from time to time, I may take a few of the questions that were asked or a couple of the discussions that we had during those LEGO sessions and bring them into this show so that I can um, share them with a, with a larger audience. And so I have a few questions that emerged in the past few uh, building sessions uh, right from the hangar of the, of the Millennium Falcon, while I was building the Falcon, or some, some, uh, some stuff that came up in the chat room. First of all, I remember a conversation with one of the viewers, one of the visitors, who uh, said uh, that he had been str- struggling with alcohol uh, um, usage or abuse. And that, at one point, he really had a wake-up call because he was diagnosed with alcohol poisoning, and it was life- threatening. and ever since that happened to him he uh, he's trying to step away from that addiction, and he was asking for advice and for help and i was I was really moved by the uh, just the openness with which uh, the, the discussion took place, and and also the other people in the chat room were also chiming in and supporting. And I that's kind of the beauty sometimes of of internet communities. It's so beautiful that uh, there are still places where people are not fighting each other, are not hating on each other, but are helping each other and are, are truly supportive. So uh, the. Uh, the, the, my answer to that question was um, that of course I, I, I'm not a, a, a therapist I, I have limited experience with situations like that but what I suggested was actually always, always look for or ask yourself and, and try to find some other people that can support you in that, in that discernment what is the real reason that, uh, that alcohol took over in my life and that i uh, went from bad to worse what is a real, the real the, the addiction is is kind of the, the symptoms uh, it's a symptom of something deeper what were you trying to compensate with alcohol and there's many other addictions that you can uh, that you can fill in here but what was the original reason for you to use alcohol to what were you trying to numb what what were you trying to compensate for and if you don't answer that question if you can't figure that out then it's very hard to step away from it because the 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 alcohol took over for a reason Um, and then the second advice and that was also given by a lot of people in the chat room is build a new support structure step away from friends that, will, uh, that risk to bring you back into that addiction. If you have a lot of friends and you go out with them and they drink and you're the only one who doesn't drink, it's very hard to resist the, the peer pressure. The same is true for all sorts of other addictions. Uh, smoking comes to mind. You know, If you want to try to stop smoking, make sure that you uh, get rid of people in your environment that smoke. And that don't want to help you and support you in your quest to get rid of, of the smoking habit, um, and if necessary, find new friends, maybe people that already have gone through uh, uh, that process of stepping away from an addiction, uh, because they are they have a, they have a, a reason to support you. They know what you're going through, so try to build a new support structure because friendship. Is one of the most effective remedies against any type of addiction, and I'm not. This is not just a uh, uh, kind of common sense, but I, I again li- recently I was listening to a, a TED talk about that, and it was pretty revolutionary. They they, they did research where they saw that, saw that in um, they had test groups, one group that was trying to go cold turkey. Um, but just leading the same lifestyle as before, no change in environment, no change in social environment. And then the other group also quit cold turkey, but surrounded themselves with friends, uh, with supportive friends. And, and, and it turns out that in uh, almost all the cases, the, uh, the group that, support, that uh, surrounded themselves with uh, friends were more successful and uh, were able to quit longer than the other group. And some uh, of them even quit completely. Um, And almost all of them later on said that the loneliness was one of the most important factors in creating the addiction in the first place. And I thought it was fascinating and, and also a bit worrying because how many people suffer from loneliness in this hyperconnected world from what i hear more people than ever before struggle with loneliness and a lot of the contacts that we have online are very superficial they're very kind of empty you may have a lot of friends in a certain way between quotation marks but but you will you may end up without any real friends people that you meet in real life people that stand by you and so uh, if, if we are made to, to have friends, we, we need a social environment. God did not create us uh, on an island alone or gave each of us... And he could have done that. Planets enough in the universe. He could have given all of us our own little private planet, right? Have you ever wondered why all of us are on the same planet? Well, maybe it is because in God's design, he wanted us to need each other, to have each other, to share this world, because sharing is what makes us so similar to God himself, who is shared love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he wanted us to be all together on this same planet. Um, that's just kind of my my idea. Uh, <laughs> it's not theology here, speculation. But anyway... Uh, if you want to solve addiction, first try to find what is the hole in your soul that that addiction is trying to fill. And of course, you all know that any addiction can not fill that hole. It it can only be filled with love and with friendship. And as long as you don't use that to fill the hole, then the addiction will still be always this, this menace, this danger. So that was a very cool, interesting discussion and uh, also made me think. That's what I like about these discussions. I don't always have the answers, but in a conversation, you kind of together figure out what are the the important elements uh, that can help someone. Another question, a recurring question that I always get, especially by new visitors, new viewers, is about celibacy and about my life as a celibate priest. And it's always, if you if celibacy was optional, if the pope would allow you to marry, would you have a family? Would you like to be a father? And my answer is always, oh, I'd love to be a father. I would love to have had a family. I I I think I would really enjoy passing on my own geekiness to a new generation, but I was called for a greater love. And it's not greater in terms of discarding marriage or anything. But for me, it was greater. I I wanted to dedicate my life to God, even maybe before I wanted to become a priest. I only discovered that I was called to be a priest after I had felt this desire to to share my life with God for the rest of my life. That was my first intuition. I want to be with God. I want to dedicate my life to God for for the rest of my life. And that is a 100% choice. And then it was later on in Lourdes that I discovered, well, God wants me to become a priest. So, well, well, hey, that makes sense. <laughs> and I'm still, uh, I still think that that is a vital distinction. Because, as you know, the priesthood is, is, is of course, formally linked to uh, a celibate life, but not in its essence. It is, that is church law. Uh, that asks priests in the West to be unmarried and to live a celibate life. In other parts of the world, in other traditions, priests can marry and are married. The apostles were married. So it's not intrinsically linked to the, uh, to the priesthood. And still I consider it to be a great value and something that uh, I would have chosen even, and that was another question, would you live a celibate life if you hadn't been a priest? And I answered yes. I would still be uh, leading a celibate life. Maybe I would have been, I don't know, a brother in a in a religious community or a third order member. Um, but I think the choice would have been the same. And then the third question that we talked about recently was about the Jedi. I always have a lot of Star Wars fans uh, because a lot of people are following me on YouTube because of my Star Wars reviews. And that was... Uh, are the jedi a true religion is that a religion is the values that we see in the star wars movies and the stories is is that can you define that as being a religion in some countries was it in the UK it's even recognized as a a, a valid option if if the government wants to know what religion you belong to you can you, you can put jedi in there which i think is totally ridiculous because it's not a religion the jedi there are similarities to a religion. There are some elements that uh, Lucas took from existing religions and existing philosophies, lifestyles, L- like, for instance, the, the, the Jedi um, uh, require, are required to live in total dedication to their state as a Jedi, so they're not allowed to marry uh, because they have to dedicate themselves undividedly to the protection of the universe and to the people. So again, very similar to what the Catholic Church asks priests. It's it's total dedication. So you live your life dedicated to to God and to to his flock. Um, But in, in, in the Star Wars movies, there is not much else to it. Yeah, there is this dedication to the force. But again, the force is a very impersonal, Kind of intuitive energy source. There is not really. I mean, the Last Jedi hinted at uh, the old books, the, the the ancient books that that Luke was keeping in his cave, and that uh, Ray was able to smuggle out of <laughs> from the uh, out of what was the name of the planet? The what anyway? The those islands, and took them with her in the in the Millennium Falcon. But Yoda then says, "Well, those are just books, you know," and. Um, uh, there are a number of other kind of simple philosophies of the, the values of the jedi you know anger leads to hate hate leads to suffering um uh, th- th- there seems to be kind of this buddhist um Im- is it called impassibility that a jedi a real good jedi should have so no emotions uh it- it's uh, really annoyed me when obi-wan in um is it in uh, the Clone Wars? Anyway, is constantly berating Anakin that his emotions take over, and he's not allowed to have emotions. And I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> because <laughs> what is the problem? They cloud your judgment. Uh huh. Well, Yoda seems to have a lot of emotions. He's got a sense of humor. He's sad. He's angry. He's uh, impatient. So, yeah. But but a few of those generic values are not enough to form a belief system, and I think the the thing lacking in the Jedi view or the Jedi philosophy is is basically a, a, a leading message. What is the purpose? The values on what are they for? Where does it lead to? Um, it, the the Force has no face has no personality has no identity um, so it, it is a bit hollow everything a- and um where is the tradition that's another element very important in um, in 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 religion religious texts uh founders prophets yeah there are there is this very vague prophecy, but we don't really get to know where it's from uh, there are no real you know we, we well we know there there's the journal of the wills but what's in there star wars doesn't care to explain um there is this this horrible midi stuff in the prequels where all of a sudden it's not a religion anymore but it's all biology or some kind of supernatural biology but anyway it's it's a like a biochemical uh, uh complexion that people can have or or can't have and and so Uh, and then the reason why it's Jedi can't be a true religion is it is a fictional story. Now, people may say, well, that's true for Christianity as well. It's based on fiction. It's a fairy tale book. But the big thing that they forget is that there are, and and historians are very much in agreement about that, there's a lot of historical foundation for the Bible stories. And as I've explained before, it's not that the Bible is a uh, history book, or an eyewitness account, or a scientific book, it's a storybook. But the stories come stem from historical uh, events, and then the the story and storytelling sometimes over generations of oral tradition add layers of meaning to those events, just as you do with your own life. Stuff happens to you, and then in retrospect, you tell yourself, "Well." That happened at the time it was a, it seemed to be a disaster, no upside to it at all, but now it helped me learn. It helped me to become who I am today. so there is you add layers of interpretation to the events in your own life, and there's nothing wrong with that. That is how we learn that's how we transmit values through stories, through interpretation of what happens. But the thing is, in the Bible, those Historic events are there, and they are also provable outside of the realm of religion and uh, religious writing. Uh, the existence of Jesus. There is a, there's not an historian who will say, well, well, that was a fictional figure. No. Moses is a different conversation. Moses, there are uh, quite a few historians that say, well, Moses is basically a mythological uh, figure, and a lot of the stories that you read in the Exodus are myths. They, there is no archaeological proof for the for the presence of Jews in Egypt, and uh, so I, I recently re- listened to an interesting episode of uh, Skeptoid, which is a skeptic uh, uh, podcast, and he was making the case for uh, the fact that m- the story of Moses was basically just just a mythology. Um, I would say, let science disprove it, and let science prove it. Uh, the Catholic Church is very relax when it comes to this kind of stuff, uh, there can only be one truth, and scientific truth cannot count, contradict uh, religious truth. So bring it on. But I would say you have to have really strong arguments to, to discard the, the, one of the most founding stories in the Jewish tradition as just fiction, as just a fairy tale. Um, we all know that that is an old story, and so it has a lot of these extra layers of interpretation, but it doesn't mean that nothing happened. But we also know that, for instance, the whole story of the Red Sea—that's not really going from one coastline to the other coastline. If that happened, then it's probably just a, le- a detour through part of a, uh, a, a part of the sea or something like that. But anyway, a lot of the kind of the images that we have in our head are are. Not it sometimes not even based on, on what the story itself uh, uh tells us. Like for instance, the apple. The apple that that seduces uh, uh Eve. Then in every painting you see Adam and Eve with an apple. Well, there's no way, nowhere in the Bible does it say that it's an apple. It's fruit from a tree. <laughs> and then is there only one tree? Uh-uh. There are two trees in that story. Go look it up. So there's a lot of... of um, The nativity scene. The ox and the donkey. It's in every nativity scene. But it's not in the Bible. Spoiler. (laughs) That was later on added by St. Francis. So I'm always in these situations. Is like, look at the evidence. uh, Ask archaeologists. And even if certain aspects of the story our interpretations are added later on don't have an historical uh well they i would say a lot a lot of the the bible stories do have historical events at the source but not everything in, in it is eyewitness history right um it's just as even in our modern days we we think that we know everything but especially if you live in the us right now you know everything is spin it really depends on what kind of television channel you watch. If you watch Fox News and MSNBC, and they both tell the story of the same day and the same president, they will have sometimes completely opposite narratives. And so it's interpretation. It's, it's part of our perception of history. Um, our, our history itself is storytelling as well how did I get onto this tangent? I forgot. (laughs) We were talking, oh, about Jedi and religion. So the the difference is Bible stories are based in in historic events, whereas the Jedi, that's based on an imaginary tale that George Lucas invented, and then other writers started adding to it. So, yeah, but interesting discussion. Anyway, it's time to move on. Dive into the world of books. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet, the extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? Well, now that I have finished the, this huge, massive book about Peter Jackson and the creation of Middle-earth, I've started to listen to another audiobook, and I am so enjoying it. I'm so happy that this book was on the, in the library of that uh, uh, audiobook service that I'm subscribed to. The book is called The Happiest Days of Our Lives, and it's written by Will Wheaton, Wesley from Star Trek The Next Generation. And uh, it is a really enjoyable audiobook. book. Uh, he also wrote this other book of um, I'm a Geek, or what was it called? Um, let me just look that up here. Let me show you. Um, and, and he was mentioning that book. It's based on a lot of the blogs that he wrote. He's actually a very accomplished writer. I really enjoy his writing style. And he's been blogging for for decades. Um. Now let me look that up in Amazon. Otherwise, I can't play the sample here. Um, so the uh, uh, the book is 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 just a collection of short stories, but the the connecting theme is it's all part of his uh, his childhood stories. And uh, Will Wheaton had a very geeky childhood, and he's also uh, kind of uh, transmitting those. Um, uh, those values and the geeky lifestyle to his adoptive children. Uh, Will Wheaton is married with uh, a woman who in, uh, has two children, two sons from a previous marriage. And uh, Will Wheaton has always called himself a stepfather out of respect for the biological father of his two kids. But for the rest, he really tries to be uh, a, a, a real father for, for his kids. And I think he's, he's doing a terrific job. Um, and uh, he talks about the values, um, audio book, in uh, in one of the first chapters of the book, and it is it's moving, it's it's really moving. I I like I've always liked Will Wheaton. I may not always agree with uh, with his uh, choices or life philosophy, but I still think he's an extraordinary guy and someone who's extremely honest uh one of the things that he mentions often is how much his life has been tainted by depression and anxiety and how he still tries to overcome that and just recently he um uh he thanked his followers for all the support that they have given him over the years and how much uh he the the friendship that he has with his followers has helped him through a lot of the struggles in his life. I think that's beautiful. That's again, uh, someone who shows kind of the bright side of the internet and social media. So here's a little sample. I'm trying to play this from the Polish <laughs> website of, of Storytel. Let me Easter see if that works. Oh, here it is. It was also a very bad idea because I ended up cutting several stories that I absolutely love. The Happiest Days of Our Lives, as published by Monolith Press... Is still a nice little book, and it was very well received. But I haven't been able to shake the feeling that it could have been so much nicer. So here, Will Wheaton—he's got a great uh, narration as well. Um, He also did the reading for *Ready Player One*, the audiobook, and *Armada* by Ernest Cline. Not the best book, but I think uh, one of the redeeming factors of *Armada* is the fact that it was read by uh, by Will Wheaton. Um he also uh did a number of books from Corey Doctorow and some others. Let me see. There's a whole bunch of audiobooks, and I wasn't even aware that he uh that he did that. Um he's got he's written another one, Dancing Barefoot. I think that is about his early days in television. And then he's got a recent novel that he wrote, Dead Trees Give No Shelter. Um but Really recommend it. I, I really enjoyed that book. Uh, also, interesting um, uh, question that a lot of fans are asking themselves: Will 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 Wheaton <laughs> be back in the world of Star Trek? Now we, that we know that Picard, the series on Netflix, is going to bring back a lot of the or a number of the original cast members of the next generation. There's even an online petition that people are signing to ask the writers to bring back uh, Will Wheaton as Wesley. And I think they should. They absolutely should. There's a a photo on Instagram making the rounds that uh, Will Wheaton posted himself. Um, By the way, it's Will Wheaton on, on Instagram. That's his official account. Where he poses. Uh, it's a picture from uh, the 50th birthday party for Ann Wheaton. And uh, she requested a, an 80s costume party, and he dressed himself up as Commander Riker from season three of The Next Generation. And so you see Will Wheaton with the beard in an old classic Star Trek uniform. And the internet is going wild. There's like, oh, this is proof that Will Wheaton needs to be back in Picard. And so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of looking at all the rumors to see if I can get a little glimmer of hope that we can see him back in Star Trek. Because famously, he got uh, uh, snubbed in the final cut of Star Trek Nemesis where that starts with the wedding of Riker and... Um, what's her name? Anyway. And Will Wheaton was originally there. And I think he's just in a glimpse in the background somewhere. But he also had his small speaking part and they cut it. It ended up on the cutting room floor. It's not even on the special edition, I think, or in the in the extra deleted scenes. Um, he was interviewed about that. The question whether he'd be up for returning in in Star Trek: Picard. He says. Uh, when they announced that the Picard, the Picard series, I got excited for Star Trek in a way that I haven't been since the last season of Deep Space Nine, Wheaton said. I got so excited for it because I love Patrick and I love that character and the Next Generation timeline, which is also the Deep Space Nine timeline. It's, it's the timeline that I love the most. It, it might be cheating a little bit because I was part of that timeline, so I'm emotionally invested in it, but I was a fan before I was part of the show and I'm thrilled that we are going to get to see what Picard is doing now. I'm excited about that. And then he continues, I think it is very unlikely they will ask me to participate in it. I mean, I think it is just extraordinarily unlikely that will happen. If they did, I would say yes, of course. I think all of us would say yes. I think all of us, if we were given the opportunity to put on the spacesuits again and go work together and bring those characters back as they would be 30 years later, we would all say yes. And I don't think it's because... We want to the work. I don't think it's because we need the money. I don't think it's because we don't have other things to do. It's because we love each other so much. And an opportunity, even for a day, to return emotionally to some of the best times of our lives, I think that we would jump at that opportunity. That's what he said in an interview to... Where was his interview from? Hmm... I am looking up the thing. It's not mentioned. This is well, it's I found it on the website comicbook.com, but I think it's a quote from another article. And then there is also an article in the uh, Metro newspaper about the same photo and then um, they also ask him, uh, that's the metro.co.uk. They talk to him. And then he says to them, it's been over 30 years since we did The Next Generation. Is it over 30 years? Oh my goodness, I'm getting old. And in a way, I feel like we had our time when we did our thing. And it's time to make room for new people, new characters and new stories he told us. Kind of those, the same things that the original cast from, from, the, from Star Wars 4, 5 and 6 said is like yeah, our time is past. It's time for a new generation. But I I think Star Wars is a great example of how you can blend in the old with the new. And I for my part am so excited that they are able to weave in the character of Leia into the final uh, movie of the of the Skywalker saga. And and that does not I think diminish in in one way or another uh, the contribution of the new actors. Um and then uh will continues all of that being said i would love the opportunity to work with them again it would be like going home i think that it could be a lot of fun to revisit that character but i just don't see that happening now never trust interviews like this if 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 he had been uh, approached then the probably the next step would be negotiations right and of course you're not going to spill the beans when you're in the middle or or at the start of negotiations. So, I think Will Wheaton has such a, a a great reputation with Star Trek fans. That it would be foolish not to bring him back, especially because there is no reason to leave him out. He's one of the most open characters. His storyline just ended abruptly when he left uh, the Enterprise there, there is almost nothing that we know of his character, so they could make it so interesting. And he's he's a great actor, and and he he would bring with him the goodwill of so many Star Trek fans. So uh, I predict that maybe not this season, but one of the future seasons, I think Will Wheaton will be back if he can be right now. He's described, and that just hurts me. In on on modern movie websites and TV websites, they describe him as Will Wheaton from the Big Bang Theory. I was like, what? The Big Bang Theory? Come on! He's from Star Trek! That's just a cameo in the Big Bang Theory. Yes, I mean, he's great in the Big Bang Theory, but please, come on. It's like saying, oh, that's Father Roderick from... um, from from the marathon video. Yeah, I do run marathons, but I'd rather be remembered as Father Roderick uh, the, the podcasting priest or the Star Wars priest, whatever. <laughs> but but oh my goodness. <sighs> will Wheaton from and that's why I think he should be in, in Star Trek Picard. So at least people will again say, "Hey, that's Will Wheaton from Star Trek." We can do the news now. It's all right, everyone. I don't want to talk to you about. We can. This. We can do the news. Hold on, everyone. Why are we all standing around? Let's go. News team It is time for an extra news flash here on the show because massive. We this program for an on-the-spot news report. On-the-spot news report. This is exactly the jingle that I need because I. The news just broke while I was recording this, that Disney Plus launch dates are set for the Netherlands and for Canada and for Australia and New Zealand. That's That covers almost all my friends. So, of course, we were all hoping to hear more about Disney Plus because Disney Plus is going to be the must-have service, probably, next to Netflix for anyone who's interested in Marvel and Star Wars. It will feature a new exclusive series, The Mandalorian, all the Star Wars movies, The Clone Wars, it will all be on Disney+. Plus, Plus of course, the, all the Marvel stuff, the Disney uh, movies and cartoons. And the only thing that we knew was that it was going to launch in the US. There were rumors months ago about Disney looking into the Netherlands as one of their launching uh, countries because we have such good internet here and the majority uh, majority of the people are already very familiar with Netflix and similar services. So this would be a very good kind of testing ground for their service. And there were even, according to those rumors, chances that Disney would launch the service first in the Netherlands before even the United States. Well, that turned out to be a little bit too optimistic. But I kind of gave up on that rumor because we didn't hear anything about it. So I was totally prepared to kind of suffer in silence while the Americans can watch The Mandalorian and I have to wait months before I get to see that series. Well, it turns out that is not going to be the case. Here is the press release from Disney Plus. The Walt Disney Company on Monday unveiled the first global launch dates and pricing for its upcoming streaming service Disney Plus, setting dates for Canada, the Netherlands, Australia, and New Zealand. Disney Plus will bow in Canada and the Netherlands in tandem with the United States. Woohoo! Where the service becomes available on November 12th. November 12th. That is only a few months away. The Canadian version of Disney Plus will be priced at $8.99 Canadian dollars per month or eighty nine ninety nine Canadian dollars per year. The Dutch version will cost €6.99 Euros per month or €69.99 Euros per year. <laughs> I'm not going to... I'm just going to get the yearly subscription, of course. That is a lot cheaper uh, than, uh, than Netflix. I think I paid... Ten or twelve euros for per month for Netflix, and there is no yearly discount, so that is a, a lot more expensive. And I'm even thinking, you know, when Disney Plus comes to the Netherlands, I'm gonna uh, say goodbye to my to my uh, movie theater subscription, which costs like double what I pay for Disney Plus, because I won't have time to go to the movies anymore. <laughs> I will have Star Wars at home. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited! Uh, so the, the the Dutch version is a little bit more expensive. If you kind of calculate it, it's about seven dollars seventy five per month. So I think it's going to be a little bit cheaper. It's uh, I think s- how much is it? Six fifty in the U S. Anyway. Disney said that more international territories will follow and that it expects to launch Disney Plus in most major global markets within the first two years. But imagine if you're at the end of the list and it takes two years for you to watch Disney Plus. In the US, Disney will also offer a bundled package of Disney Plus, ESPN Plus and Hulu for $12.99 per month. This will not initially be available outside the US. I don't care. ESPN Sports... BORING! Disney is throwing its full weight behind the new streaming service, which it forecasts forecasts will rack up 60 million to 90 million global subscribers by 2024. I would not be surprised. In addition to a massive library of content from Disney, Marvel, Lucasfilm, Pixar, National Geographic, and 21st Century Fox, including being the exclusive subscription video home for The Simpsons... Ooh. I like this. The studio is investing heavily in original content with new live-action series based on its Star Wars and Marvel franchises and a new high school musical series and a live-action update to animated classic Lady and the Tramp among the plans for the platform. And I just recently saw that the revived rumors for a television series on Disney Plus about Obi-Wan Kenobi starring Ewan McGregor. They're already working on that, according to the sources. So, ho-ho. This makes my day this will be a day long remembered we are on the cutting edge of technology wow well what does that mean let's plug it in it's going to say hey i see you've plugged in a new device and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers you'll notice that this scanner built whoa well all your technology stuff just ends in disaster But there is one more thing. I want to wrap up things with uh, a very brief uh, referral to last week's episode where I talked about VR and that I've kind of rediscovered my Oculus Go. And lo and behold, I found a very interesting article about VR and the role that it can play in pain relief. Now, I'm not suffering from pain other than kind of my Lego hands right now. But uh, a lot of people have to live with chronic pain. Um, actually, it was also one of the conversations during the LEGO sessions of someone who was struggling with very severe back pain. And it's crippling. It's really hard to, to blot it out. And uh, that person said that watching me build the LEGO stuff was actually helping with distracting uh, from the pain. Well, it turns out that VR can be even more effective than watching YouTube streams or watching television. And according to recent research, uh, VR, even if, if it's just a few sessions per day, can dramatically reduce the perception of pain in test groups. Um, so here is what the uh, research um, entailed. Research was done in a hospital where participants were undergoing treatment for various conditions. Some, some were experiencing pain linked to cancer. Others had orthopedic pain. We divided the patients into two groups, the researcher explains. One group tried VR. They used Samsung's op- uh, the Oculus headsets that were each fitted with a phone that had a VR app. Patients could select from a library of 21 VR experiences available on the app. They are actually, I think... Referring to an existing app which is called Nature Tracks. I'll talk about it a little bit later. Nature Tracks allows you to enter virtual worlds. It's not a game, but you can just hang out in space or in a savanna or on a beach or multiple places. So they would allow people um, to, to emerge, immerse themselves into those VR uh, experiences. They were free to use the VR devices as much as they liked, but were advised to aim for three daily sessions, 10 minutes per session. The other group of patients got to watch a health and wellness channel on TV as much as they wanted. We found that virtual reality reduced pain by about three times as much as watching TV did said the researcher. Using a 0 to 10 pain scale, the virtual reality experience led to a 2-point drop in pain compared to a half-drop point for watching TV. Um, It's not exactly clear how VR works to help reduce pain perception, but pain specialists say that there are likely multiple explanations. Distraction is just one element. When the mind is deeply engaged in an immersive experience, it becomes difficult to perceive Stimuli outside of the field of attention. Spiegel and his collabor- collaborators write in their journal paper. In other words, when something captures our attention and uses all our senses, we focus on it. It's like a spotlight, and everything else falls into darkness, at least temporarily. We we all have that experience. Like yesterday, um, after I finished the Lego stream, the I I think that something got into the the little wound on my thumb, and it was causing this throbbing pain, and ah, I was focused on it, It's like, ah, I gotta go to bed, I, uh, but this hurts, what am I going to do, and then before I went to bed, I still watched a little bit of television, and then the pain just went away, and subsided, and I forgot about it, and this morning I woke up, I was like, oh, my, my thumb hurts, and so even with television, it already helps you kind of forget about pain. Um, there are also some questions. Distraction is helpful for pain. Researchers know that's an understood phenomenon but why would VR be better than any other kind of distraction uh, they wonder. And so that is all uh, still to to find out. But there are a lot of very cheap ways to experience that for yourself or, or test it out if you suffer from chronic pain and you have a VR set like the Oculus One for instance or you can Borrow it from someone, try it out. And there are two apps that I can recommend uh, that are both pretty stunning. Uh, one is, uh, is called Nature Treks, as I said. Um, and I don't think I have a trailer for that. Nature Treks uh, VR. Let me see if they have a trailer. It's a brief overview and demonstration. Uh, the VR shop. Let me just click on this and see what happens. Uh, do we get audio here? Yeah, so you hear a lot of some music, and then you're in the savannah, and there's some animals flying. It looks beautiful, it's not photorealistic, but it's still very immersive. And the, the funny thing is, you can play God in a certain way, you can, uh plant seeds and and trees will will pop up let's see a little bit farther there's unfortunately this is just a music in the app you hear the the sounds of nature which also really helps with the immersion let's see maybe this yeah this is better so this is in space for instance you're it's kind of science fiction like music and then you go to the savannah and it sounds like this that is an elephant that you hear, by the way. And you hear birds. And all, of course, all of that is is uh, in, uh, in stereo. And then there's this one, which the article that I just mentioned refers to. And it's uh, swimming with dolphins and whales. So here you're underwater. And they're actually whales swimming underneath you and there's this huge whale that passes by gently and you can stroke it and caress it so one of, one of the people that was part of that research group actually said you know I love swimming with with dolphins and it makes me forget and the 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 the, the pain is not just forgotten during the experience but also for hours afterwards. So th- this had a long-lasting effect, strangely enough. The other app that I can recommend, so this one was called Nature Treks. I think it's about eight bucks or seven, seven bucks. The other one is called Real VR Fishing. And uh, from what I've read, I haven't bought it myself yet. This is one of the most immersive uh, uh, VR experiences anywhere, on any platform. And it's fishing in a 3D environment that is photorealistic. Like, the trailer shows you this pond. There are birds flying in the sky. And you can walk towards the water. And then all of a sudden you have a hand with a very realistic looking rod in it.
1: And you can start to fish!
0: And even the fishing itself, the fishing simulator, is very well done because it will show you where the fish is struggling. And according to people that have already checked out this game, you can almost physically feel the pull of the fish, even though, of course, that's impossible, but that's your mind believing the situation. There's another one, you're sitting in a boat, there's fishing in the harbor of, uh, of San Francisco. Uh, this one is, I think, near Tokyo. And this must be kind of a Scottish lake or something like that. It, it, it looks amazing. And so this is definitely, uh, it also has a, a, like a lodge where you, that has an aquarium and every fish you, you, you catch, you can either sell and then buy new equipment with it, or you can put it in your aquarium. And I can't wait to, to, uh, to try this out. And a lot of people also in the review say, I just, I don't fish. I just sit there at the water side and I enjoy the environment because it's totally believable. I am there. Now, that's always been my dream for VR. It's to, the ability to transport you into a different reality and take away the stress that you have and just the, 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 that it's technically possible. It's amazing. Anyway, that's it for this show. Hopefully, you were transported for uh, an hour into my world. And uh, if you want to support me, patreon.com. I'll see you next week.